grad student, happy Women's History Month and happy International Women's Day. I have a few huge announcements today, but first I want to start with a quick note about today's episode. Today's episode is a critical look at the institution of academia and International Women's Day overall. It's actually not a discussion I've ever had on the podcast, and usually I've seen these conversations more peripherally online on these days, but it is such an important discussion and I would love anyone's feedback on it, good or bad, after you've listened. If you're looking for an episode that digs a little bit deeper into somebody's history as a woman in academia or a story of what they've gone through, you should probably check out last year's episode with Hannah Shows. We talk all about her experience in computer science, and I have a lot of personal revelations about myself, and it's all very beautiful. That episode will be linked in the episode description. Also, in honor of International Women's Day, the podcast is selling merch, because apparently that is now my brand. Like the LGBTQIA merch launched back in October, 50% of the profits will be donated, and we will be voting for the organization to donate to, so stay tuned. And the cool part about the merch is that it actually uses a quote from the guest from this episode. Check out all of the options for the merch at deargradstudent.com slash IWD. And lastly, it is the first episode of the month of March, which means that I have the privilege of thanking the amazing podcast patrons with big podcast energy and up who contribute monetarily each month to make sure that the podcast lives on. So a huge, amazing thank you to Jeremy Gloger, Ryan Science, Vikram Baliga, Davis Bourne, Hannah Shows, my mom, Brittany Hockey, William Oda, Lee Goose, Emmeline Beltran, Eric Arulian, and special shout out and big thanks to podcast fellows, Brianna Williams and Isaac Bisla, and huge welcome to Victoria Heinrich, who will also be part of these monthly shout outs starting this month. If you want to join this amazing group or learn about your options for supporting the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash student. I'm only two patrons away from 25, so let's make it happen, people. Okay, longest intro ever. Let's get to today's episode. Today's episode is all about celebrating International Women's Day and challenging the institutions that make it necessary with full-time science communicator, Dr. Claudia Antolini. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to your favorite grad school podcast, Dear Grad Student, the podcast where grad students can come together to celebrate, commiserate, and support one another through this long and difficult journey. I'm Alana. I'm a fifth-year doctoral candidate and your host, and I'm joined today by a PhD in astrophysics and science communicator, Dr. Claudia Antolini. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. As I already mentioned before we started recording, you know, to have you on this International Women's Day episode is really because I find you to be a badass woman on Twitter and I see you speaking up and advocating and I, and I look up to it. So I'm really thrilled to have you here. 
Well, first of all, you're going to make me blush, which in a podcast, this doesn't really show, but here we are. Virtual blushing. <laughs> Virtual blushing, yes. It's good to have a platform. And when I can say things that I think in my head and, and then I share them and maybe they resonate with people and some people agree or they have shared similar experiences or they feel validated or maybe they pick up on something I said and think, oh, you know what, I'm going to change what I'm doing because I thought... That was really helpful. That's something that really warms my heart, but at the same time also surprises me <laughs> because my journey on Twitter has been <laughs> pretty much uh, the result of a lot of guesswork. I share what I think and things I reflect on, but I'm definitely not the person that has it all together or I'm definitely not super self-assured and super confident all the time. So if this is you, <laughs> please know <laughs> that you're not alone. It's definitely me. So I'm happy to have a, a kindred spirit in that. And why don't we go ahead and let everybody know where they can connect with you on social media and follow you online. Sure. So you can mostly find me on Twitter. My handle is CA underscore Astro com with a double m i have the same twitter for instagram though you won't find me very active on instagram uh, i do quote my instagram handle uh, just in case people like to check it out but i'm also very aware that the last post is maybe three years old so yeah please be warned you know i did say before we started recording that i'm also kind of inactive on instagram but i'm definitely not that inactive i just i'm so bad at the picture thing and i take so much time to make look good and i'm such a perfectionist about it whereas with twitter i'm like i flail around and people are like yes i like this good job and i'm like great <laughs> i just find i'm better at improvising with words than i am in improvising with pictures yes <laughs> so twitter as a medium works a bit better for me i find instagram to be less immediate for me for me right. personally right for lots of people instagram works and that's amazing but i just don't find myself to be a picture person whatever yeah. that might mean well and that's the same reason that this is not a blog because as much as words and writing is where i feel more comfortable talking i am most comfortable so this is why this is a podcast and so why don't we go ahead and start today's episode by giving everyone listening a little bit of background on your research and your passion and what you have a phd in so tell me a little bit about that i graduated in 2014 and my, you mentioned my PhD is in astrophysics. My thesis topic was uh, gravitational lensing. This is the phenomenon where light gets bent by the presence of a gravitational field. Oh, that's so cool. So we have a mass, imagine a galaxy or a cluster of galaxies or a star that distorts the structure of space-time, which without that mass would be flat, okay? So we have this, what physicists call gravitational field, to be a bit more precise, which changes the structure of space-time. So whatever light comes close during its path to a gravitational field, instead of going exactly straight, it will have to curve because space-time on which it lies is curving as well. Is this like black holes? It is related to black holes, yes. Wow, I should have a PhD in astrophysics now. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you thought so carefully about that response. I was like, no, it's cool. I should not. It's fine. Oh, why not? Maybe after this one, you can go for one in astrophysics next. Who knows? Who am I to say no to that? Exactly. Perfect. If you fancy five more years in grad school, that is. 
So my thesis topic was not about black holes, though, but was about how to use gravitational lensing when you apply it to uh, something called the cosmic microwave background radiation, which is essentially the first picture of the universe that you can take made of light. So this is something that happened in the very early universe, only 380,000 years after the universe was born, which is, I mean, making it sound like it's five seconds, but no, it's a long time for human timescales. But when you think that the universe is actually around 14 billion years old, that's why we say only. (laughs) Right, right, right. Because it's a short time compared to the whole history of the universe. So at that time, the universe was incredibly hot, incredibly dense. Therefore, photons, which are the particles that convey light, couldn't run away freely. They were bumping into electrons and into protons and into everything that was making up this super, super hot and dense fluid that was the universe at that very early stage. And as soon as the universe expanded enough, and so the temperature dropped down enough, and the fluid became a little less dense and a little less hot, then photons were free to go. And that particular moment is what created the cosmic microwave background radiation. Cosmic, because it's from every direction in the universe. Microwave, because today we see it in a microwave radiation spectrum. Wow. Background is because it's coming from everywhere and it's not due to a source is due to the nature of the universe itself Whoa. radiation because it's a radiation it's right, light right. so it's a radiation so i applied gravitational lensing to cosmic microwave background radiation to work out how the structures that have formed in a later universe so very big things like clusters of galaxies for example what does a photon of cosmic microwave background radiation do when in its path over billions of years, it comes close enough to the gravitational field created by the clusters of galaxies that have formed at later stages evolution of the universe? Wow. I don't know if you know this about me. I've talked on the podcast about it, but not necessarily on Twitter. I spent most of my childhood in a planetarium because I loved space. And I don't know what got me off of studying it, but it's things like this that I'm like, man, I should have gone into space science because that sounds so cool and so interesting. And hearing you talk about the beginning of the universe is like, I had to like bring myself back. I'm like, you're podcasting. You're not at a talk that you're listening to for fun on space because you're nerdy. Like you get bring it back, host a podcast. You explained that so well that I, I don't know if you saw, but I was like every single word you said, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what? Like, it's like, it blows my mind what people do in other fields. I always love hearing about that. And how long did it take you to get your PhD? It took me four years because that was the duration of my program. Some people did take additional time, but most people, the very vast majority of people would tend to graduate on time. And so then what has your life and career looked like since your PhD? You know, what are you doing now? And tell me a little bit about that transition. As I mentioned, I graduated in 2014, which is a fair amount of moons ago. (laughs) Because we are in 2022, so I'm close to the decade since I got my title. During the last couple of years of my PhD, I started going to live abroad and doing international experiences and studying in other places, visiting other institutes. 
And after my PhD, my first postdoc was part of it was in China, part of it was in Germany. So for whoever wants to keep count, I was born in Italy and that's where I did all my studies. During my PhD, I did a summer abroad in the UK as an Erasmus student. Then went back to Italy, finished my PhD, then moved to China, then moved wow. to Germany. Wow. Then, then moved back to China. <laughs> then, well, yes, it's been interesting. I didn't get bored. <laughs> uh, then I decided that the academic career wasn't exactly doing what I wanted it to do for me. So I went back to Italy, actually got another master's degree in space science and technology because wow. three degrees were not enough. Right. They were, they were. But <laughs> I was considering other directions. Sure. So one thing that I thought was maybe I can go and work in the space industry, just not in academic research, but still working on space missions and things like that. That also didn't go the way... It's not that it wasn't interesting. It's not that it's something that isn't incredibly cool to do. It's just not the thing that I really wanted to do. But really, secretly, I knew what I wanted to do, uh, which is what I'm doing today. Because during my PhD, I started getting involved with science communication. And I did FameLab for those of you that may have heard of it, uh, which is a competition that pushes you to tell your bit of science in three minutes without any visuals there's yourself on a stage and anything that you can carry with you i mean that explains how you explained that extremely complex thesis topic to me so seamlessly and quickly i was sitting here and i'm like man do i even know what my thesis was on by the end of that i was just like wait do i know anything that's pretty much my job now on a daily basis sure. i work as a science communicator and i knew i wanted to be a science communicator i knew that really what was in my in my heart, I knew that being a scientist was great, was definitely what got me out of bed in the morning. Sure. But part of what got me out of bed in the morning was also that people could know what I was doing, that everyone or more people, as many people as possible, could benefit from the fact that I had this incredible luck and privilege to learn and ponder the mysteries of the universe. Yeah. So even though not everyone can or wants or should sit in front of a code like I did, but more people definitely should have the chance to appreciate in a language that is accessible, in a medium that is relatable, what the science mean and what do we study every day, what interests us. And right. it's a way to interrogate ourselves as scientists on how does the science that we do actually make the world a better place? Because science, to me, science is a fundamental endeavor to advance the knowledge of humankind, not just my own personal knowledge. Wow. So if I'm not sharing it, to what extent did I actually achieve the purpose that science should have? And for me, the answer was, um, maybe I'm really not. So even though it was a fairly winded path, if sure. you wish, I didn't just fall straight into it. It wasn't a linear process, but still, right. it was the thing I felt was going to be the right thing for me to do. This is making me think I need to have you on to talk about science communication because <laughs> immediately I'm like, I want to ask all these questions, but I can't. 
keeping that in the back of my head because I love having science communicators on this podcast because it always comes from a place of passion. When I have professors on here, I have grad students on here, you know, some people I feel like have easily lost their passion. And for many of those people, it's external reasons like the institution itself is really corrupt and, you know, there's lots to talk on that. But I feel like science communicators, it is passion based at all points. Like you just sound so excited. And I love that you're literally like, it is necessary that this exists and that we study this and we know it. And I'm like, that is so badass. I want to ask so much, but we do need to pivot into what we're going to talk about for today's episode. And so this is the second episode I've done for International Women's Day. I had one last year as well. And everyone, you can go check out that episode. It was with Hannah Shows, who is from Instagram. She now has her PhD. She is working in tech. And we talk a lot about her story as a woman in STEM. So if you're looking for those kind of vibes, definitely go check that out. It'll be linked in the episode description. But today's episode was actually brought up by you, Claudia. And I think it's such a good topic for a podcast. I think that as everyone will hear, you know, when we think about, you know, some performative and exclusionary days and actions, especially as academic social media has become more popular, you know, there's just a lot to be said about I don't want to say change, but just like an open conversation about this and just talking a little bit about, I don't know, action or just what perhaps can be done. And so given what you've told me about your background and all of that, can you tell me a little bit about maybe why this episode topic is important to you, why this is something you wanted to speak on and, you know, what we'll be talking about? So I'm going to start from the end. Sure. The episode topic that I pitched to you was the things I hate about women in STEM celebrations. Amazing. <laughs> because I am not famous for mincing my words. Good. I'm famous for saying a lot of words. And this is a topic I certainly have a lot of thoughts on. And the reason that I have proposed this particular topic is that we actually don't criticize these things. I think a lot of it is we don't think we're allowed to criticize them because mm. They are supposed to be feel-good moments, they're celebrations, and, and I don't have a problem with celebrating right. achievements. I am very often a great, high person. You know, I will celebrate the people that I know they're doing great work. I will elevate people's voices and amplify their achievements because that is something I hugely believe in. The thing I don't particularly like about the way that we do it is that sometimes if I did a celebration can be used as a way to silence you on the issues that actually are there. Mm -hmm. So that was my motivation to say, I actually want to talk about this because it's not something that you really have the chance to express because you're supposed to be happy and smiling and hey, look at all these things that I've done as a woman in science. And and that just doesn't completely sit right with me. Sure. People that are already familiar with my advocacy will have picked up potentially on this trait that I exhibit, that I look for ways to improve things, which doesn't mean I hate the work that has already been done, because I think there's a lot of good work that is currently being done. Right. But I also look for the aspects that I think are still exclusionary or that are still the heritage of a system that we haven't completely dismantled yet because yes. it just takes so long. But I also think it's important to be honest about ourselves about the fact that there is still a lot to do. So you touched on how International Women's Day is problematic. And one of the way that I see it being problematic is that I am celebrated as a woman in STEM, quote inverted quote. What does that mean? 
I am not just that. So by saying, oh, today we celebrate women in STEM, it just reduces me to one aspect mm. while at the same time not necessarily addressing the sexism that is really the reason behind the celebrations because we are the result of a historical process where women have been traditionally excluded or discouraged or actively pushed out of the STEM fields and still are, sadly. Right. So that's why the push to celebrate them comes from. Right. But if we just dress this in pretty frills, mm. we lose the flavor of that. So I'm all for celebrating women in STEM, but I'm also all for identifying the problematic factors that we still have to tackle in order to not need to talk about women in STEM anymore, right? Because we right, don't want right. to be obsessed with the fact that there's a group that is discriminated against and we have to celebrate them particularly because they are from a certain group. No, we want everyone to have that fair access. But right. until that is the case, remind ourselves of the reasons why that particular group deserves more of a shout out and more of a celebration and for those voices to be elevated. Well, and the dichotomy that you have brought up is exactly why this topic was interesting for me to cover with you. I very much feel similarly falling on those two lines, right? I am a person, I'm, I think I'm annoyingly an optimist. And the reason I say that is anytime there's like a day of celebration, I'm like, yeah, like women in STEM, like I'm a badass and I'm doing science and I fall in that camp. And what I see online is I see during that day, it's a lot of people saying the same thing, which is like, people should be proud that they're scientists. Like, I'm all for that. And that's what you're saying, too. You're like, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I see that day is I'll see people saying similar things to what you're saying, and people will retweet them, and they'll get a lot of retweets, but no other conversations mm. about it, right? Maybe there'll be a quote tweet here, but no one's, you know, retweeting that. No one's having conversations. I feel like there's a couple of people who are standing up and being like, yes, this is great, and also let's dig a little bit deeper. And, like, people were like, yeah, that, retweet, and then it goes away. And I was so intrigued by you bringing up this topic because I'm like, well, I want to have those conversations that I'm seeing in the corners. And I say I see them in the corners not because it's an unpopular opinion, not because it's an opinion that shouldn't be talked about, but rather because I feel like people are afraid to talk about it. And again, like, I really like that both of us are making this point. It's not a problem that people want to celebrate being a woman in STEM or want to celebrate the fact that there are so many more women, despite the fact that this system was not built for us to be here. And it's still exclusionary as it exists. And it, it still exists because the problems around it still exist. And I think it's so important to say. And so, I don't know, that's why I was so intrigued by you bringing it up. You know, it reminds me of my episode I had years ago now on being disabled in STEM. And one of the themes we had was burning it all down. <laughs> I just kept saying that in the episode. And it kind of reminds me of this where it's like, it is great that we are here. And it is great that we are celebrating and recognizing women. And we still need to burn it all down. <laughs> Yeah, I <laughs> I do think that, you know, to really dismantle a system, it's, it's tricky. You know, how do you just edit the system? It's hard because you need to be more radical than that. But at the same time, you are going to meet resistance. So it's definitely not an easy process, not something that happens overnight, but it's something that we have to start. And I think part of the reason that I give myself, at least with what you were saying earlier, that people are afraid to bring it up and not everyone resonates with it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it's, it is. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Even even I'm uncomfortable talking about it because I don't want to make people upset who are celebrating it. But it's also a reality of it. Like, I don't want to shy away from realities, right? 
I mean, if that's what this podcast doesn't do that. I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable dealing with uncomfortable things. Yeah. But the only place from which we can start a meaningful change is to accept that change is uncomfortable, to accept that you're going to meet resistance. If you're an ally, you have to accept that you are going to recognize your privilege. And in general, whoever you are, you are going to face your internal biases. You are going to, and that's not comfortable. So the reason why I don't particularly like these women in STEM celebrations is that they tend to be very all fuzzy feelings. And I love a good fuzzy feeling. (laughs) I'm so glad you've said that. (laughs) I love a warm fuzzy feeling. I'm all for it. But at the same time, if what I'm seeing only has the effect of making me comfortable, when I know that this has stemmed from something that should change, something that is linked to academia being a sexist and misogynistic institution, then maybe we should be taking a step further and accept that it is uncomfortable and that it's okay that it is uncomfortable. Because if we don't accept that we should sit with this discomfort and then moved, pushed by the fact that we recognize that there's an injustice, then we're going to go and take meaningful action. Otherwise, It's nice, it's fun, but it becomes a warm, fuzzy feeling, which is also a weapon, in a sense, Mm. by people that don't actually want to face the issue. Right, they want to keep us in this box of the warm, fuzzy feelings and keep us happy in there. I'm celebrating women in STEM, you see, I'm really committed. Uh And so the risk that you run is that you fall into a performative action that gives you the warm, fuzzy feeling, takes the box of the institution that can say, I've done my gender thing, check. Mm-hmm. And no change actually ever happens. And so then what is the idea for you, right? So obviously you can only speak to like what you would ideally like to see. I can only speak to what I would ideally like to see. What do you hope that as a society things can move towards? What change in messaging or what inclusion needs to happen just in your opinion? Well, for example, something that I would love to do is see less faces that look like me. Mm. I'm a white woman. And when you look at these women in STEM thing, you will mostly see white, cisgender, heterosexual, normally abled middle-class white women yeah and if you come on social media and you feel empowered by seeing all the women in stem posts i think that's great i think that you should do what works for you through it right but at the same time if you do belong to this privileged subset ask yourself if a part of this comfort comes from the fact that who you're seeing is people that are like you And when we look at the factors that generate barriers for women of other ethnicities or queer women or disabled women. Or trans women and onward. It all becomes more clearer that celebrating women in STEM, is there such a thing as women in STEM? Can you really subsume everything under the fact that we share a gender identity Mm. when the experiences of a black woman are so different than mine, when the experience of a trans woman are so different than mine, when the experiences of a woman who is visibly disabled are so different than mine? Until we really start to accept that there is no such thing as the universal experience of a woman in STEM. Mm. You can't describe womanhood in quotes, whatever that means, as a monolith. If you insist on doing that, necessarily what you're going to select 
is the subset of most privileged experience. Right. And I think it's something that we can definitely do better on. Yeah. The other thing that I would like to see is something that goes beyond survivorship bias. Because you see all these stories, and those are the stories, more often than not, of people that made it. Mm. I have trained myself on reading all these stories of the people that made it. And what I generally tend to find, a very supportive mentor, a family that always had your back, an institution that believed in you. And these are all fantastic things. I love that for you. It's amazing. Right. But of course, the stories of the people that made it will have these factors because without these factors, you don't make it. Right, right. And the thing that really gets to me is that if I see those stories and the messages, if that person has made it, you can make it too. Actually, no. (laughs) Right. Because if I don't have those factors, it's easy to see how that can easily go out the window because it just means that I could make it because I didn't have the right factors to make it. So by only telling these stories, it's very easy to fall in this survivorship bias that doesn't give you an accurate depiction of what life is actually like, but also makes the people that maybe haven't made it or that don't feel that successful, they feel like they are at fault. Right. And I absolutely hate that. And that's why I think that changing the narrative, accepting that we should deal with personal failures, but also with how the system is inherently flawed and sharing real stories of people that fought and couldn't entirely shape their career in the way that they hope to. Right. Something I tend to say quite often is look for the stories that you don't hear. What are the stories that don't get told? Yes. I wish we could have that focus. I'm all for celebrating success stories. I'm all for uplifting stories of people that overcame these formidable challenges in front of them. Yes. And you will always have me in your corner to be your cheerleader. What I'm saying is I want to hear other things as well. I don't want just to hear one type of narrative. Right. I really liked the takeaway of like, look for stories you're not hearing. And I think that that's actually been an interesting part of my journey on this podcast because I'm always looking for guests of stories I haven't heard. But it also ensures that I'm like following people who aren't not like me because it exposes me to stories that I have not heard. And it helps sort of shape my own understanding of where I fall in different issues. Thinking of that monolith topic you brought up, you know, just because the system treats us as a monolith doesn't mean that we are a monolith. And I think that it comes to like when you were talking about like, well, can we really all say that there's this one aspect of womanhood that we can all connect with and all relate to? And like, maybe, but at the same time, we aren't that monolith. And like you said, we're all going to have different experiences. You said the system treats us as a monolith. I don't think that is necessarily true. Ooh, yes, challenge me. I think the system paints us as women in STEM Mm. as a monolith, but actually doesn't really treat us the same. Well, exactly. And I would agree with that. I love that you challenged what I said, because I think you're absolutely right, where it's like the other layer. It's like academia paints us as a monolith, doesn't treat us that way, which is like institutional gaslighting at its best, but really perpetuates this like, no, but you're all women and it's all the same. And like, I thought that that was really genius in a sense, because I think that it's important to parse that apart so that people listening can start seeing that difference in their daily life to like also understand 
this point that you're making. Hey, time for a quick break to thank today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Personal Finance for PhDs Tax Workshop. If you're a grad student who is a U.S. citizen studying in the U.S., feeling stressed out or confused by tax season, you are not alone and your stress is valid. Tax softwares and professional tax preppers don't always know how we are categorized or how to qualify all of our income. Now, this can lead to overpaying our taxes, which obviously we can't afford, or underpaying, which again, we can't afford. Plus, no one wants to deal with penalties from the IRS. Luckily, Dr. Emily Roberts of Personal Finance for PhDs has developed an affordable tax workshop to teach funded grad students how to prepare their annual tax returns without any of that stress. This tax workshop makes it easy to prepare your income and your higher education expense numbers correctly. There are even warnings for common mistakes that students make so that you can avoid them. With this workshop, you get 11 pre-recorded videos, and two worksheets to work through at your own pace. Plus, your purchase also comes with an invitation to a live Q&A call with Emily for any questions or concerns you may have. And for any Q&A calls you miss, they're posted and you can watch them later. And the best part? You get all of that for under $30. Now, the tax return due date in the U.S. is April 18th, 2022. So if you are interested, now is definitely the time to sign up and just make your life easier. Think of it like preventative self-care. To purchase this workshop, you'll want to go to pfforphds.com slash D-G-S return. That's pfforphds.com slash DGS return. You can also find this link in the episode description. Okay, back to your favorite podcast. As I think about who might be listening to this episode, right, particularly early grad students, you might be listening to this and feel shocked right now. And if you are, that's totally okay. I like to say for this podcast, like academia can be a terrible place. It's not all terrible. You know, we're not trying to paint this picture. We're just trying to be realistic. And so if you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. I love that small step. Just start following people on Twitter who have different stories than you. Maybe they're in a different field. Maybe they are in your same field and look different than you or have a different culture than you. Just expose yourself to different things. See where it leads you. See where it leads your opinions to go. And I think that that's a great way as we think about, given all of this, how can we support women in STEM, right? If it's not always the fuzzy feeling thing. Like if we do want to take this day and try to make it meaningful, uplifting other voices, making sure that the work that we're doing, I think, in our own lives is actually doing that in some way, which can look different for everybody. I don't know. I was just as I was hearing you talking, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then I was like, I think first or second year me might be like horrified. And I don't mean to say like you're scaring people. I just mean it is heavy. It is. It's heavy to hear for the first time if it's the first time for people. I know this is a lot to take on. But I think it's an important conversation that we should hear. If people that are hearing this are feeling shocked by what they hear, it could be partly, maybe, because you belong to a part of the demographics that actually isn't necessarily impacted by these issues. So this could be a chance to interrogate yourself on your own privilege. Yes. And so we're getting to the end of today's episode, and I want to just make sure that we more directly address this point, because we've talked about a lot of things, we've gone a lot of different places, and we've sprinkled advice throughout. But I want to make sure that, especially for graduate students listening, whether it be women or just, you know, regardless of gender identity, 
what they might be able to, you know, take away from this episode or, you know, outside all of this noise here on International Women's Day that they're going to be seeing online or the week of, what do you hope that people know or that they do with all of this information? Isn't that a question? I know. Um, Sorry. (laughs) I'm trying to think of something smart to say. Anything you say is smart. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. So I would really look at what the climate in your institution is like, what the climate in your group is like, how many people get admitted to your program, how many of them identify as women, ask them, but what is your experience like? Look at who the typical grad student is. Is there a narrative that brought us here all together? And is it a coincidence that we're all the same? Or is there something else at play? And what can I do to become more aware, to start shaping a conscience together with other grad students? Educate yourself on micro and macro aggressions and what they are. There's been a lot of discourse on Twitter recently about this. And learn how to contrast them. Learn how to be an active bystander. So next time someone makes a sexist joke and you're listening, you're equipped on how to answer and not just let it slide and not just laugh it off. And be there to support people that experience these things. Also, another thing that I really, really wanted to say during an International Women's Day episode, do not forget about the experience of trans and non-binary people, because it's all too easy on International Women's Day to say, I celebrate women, and by doing so, I accidentally misgendering people who don't identify as women, but also by erasing the experience of trans and non-binary people. And I always say this, I will say this also on your podcast, trans women are women. Yes. And that there's nothing that defines a woman other than the fact that that's how you see yourself. So there is no gatekeeping that may ever come from me over who gets to call themselves a woman and who can't. Yes. And trans people right now are facing all around the world systematized attacks on their rights. We know that the climate in STEM in academia in general, is still very hostile to people who don't conform. So I absolutely want to take this occasion to say, yes, women in STEM, we need to keep celebrating. We need to keep shouting from the rooftops about our achievements, about the issues that are there. But remember that it's just a part of the game. Gender is a mess. (laughs) Yes. And International Women's Day is not the right day to forget about that because there's so much accidental erasure of a whole spectrum of gender identities because gender is a mess. It's like, okay, I'm just going to pretend that that doesn't exist. Or again, I'm just going with this, you know, performative, penizing idea of celebrating women in STEM that, you know, oh, what a coincidence tends to celebrate cis, traditionally attractive, skinny, middle-class, normally abled white women. This is something that I do care about. And it's a really important message. As scientists, we have to validate trans people experiences because there is so much discourse from transphobes saying that sex is defined by biology and as scientists saying that we support trans people, assist cis scientist allies is 
not just important, is vital. Oh, absolutely. It's vital because without our support, it's way too easy that these are seen as minoritarian issues that can be easily taken away and not discussed. It's important because trans and non-binary scientists bring a richness to what we do that absolutely cannot be traded or substituted or swept under the carpet ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that you bring up this point about non-binary and trans folk. When you were like, hey, is it cool if I mention this? I was like, please mention this, because I think that's the other thing that we're going to be seeing online is people speaking out. You know, it's tough because in previous years, I've seen two sort of camps on this, right? One is non-binary people who are like, please don't include me in this day. I'm not a woman. And the other are women who are like, this is a day for all non-males. And it's like, not necessarily. Like some non-binary people might feel like you can put me in this category because I express feminine sometimes. Some non-binary people might be like, do not put me in this category ever. And I think that it's important, again, on this comment of being a monolith. Like non-binary people are not a monolith. So we've said a lot of things today. And something that I like to do at the end of all of my episodes is something called final thoughts. And all this means, especially for an episode like today where we went so many places, is I want it to be easy for people who listen to the episode to remember a couple of key points, right? Some takeaways, some things that they'll, you know, when they're falling asleep at night, they're reviewing their day, these couple of points come up. So feel free to take a second to think about it. But what would your final thoughts of the episode be? You know, just two or three takeaways you hope people get from this episode. Listen to people who are different than you and look for the stories that you don't usually listen to. Mm. Accept to be uncomfortable and dare to be disruptive and don't accept the narrative that all women are the same because we're simply not. And it's only by acknowledging that that we can really start from a place of change, that we can really start to eradicate racism and we can really start to eradicate ableism. If we keep lumping all women under one label, we're playing a game that we're not going to win. The dare to be disruptive quote just hit me deep in my soul. I feel like I want that on a sticker. I'm just like, <laughs> absolutely. I loved your takeaways. I feel like I am really proud of myself. Typically, I have the same takeaways as my guests, but I actually have different ones this time. So for everyone listening, I know you're proud. I'm proud too. My takeaways from today's episode would be, you know, first and foremost, I think this day being what it is in the way that we've talked about today, it is still okay to celebrate being a woman. Like we are never discounting that. And you don't know this, Claudia is nodding right now. So we are not discounting that at all. All we're doing is having that also conversation that I think needs to be kept in mind. And, you know, as a former therapist, right, I'm going to use the therapeutic and here to say like both can exist, right? We can be proud and happy to be women and this day can still be kind of problematic and there can still be issues going on that I think it's important for folks to be aware of. And on that point, I want to highlight something that Claudia said, which is that if you're listening to this and you first of all, if you're listening and you're shocked and this is like a lot and heavy, you're, you're still listening to this episode, I'm really glad you're here. And if you are listening to this and it's uncomfortable, and kind of shocking and maybe you're not sure what to do with all this information, it does probably mean that it's a good opportunity to challenge some privilege. I do find in my own life that it's when I'm feeling uncomfortable, that's where I recognize I have areas to grow or learn. So if you're just like lost, if you're like, that was so much and I'm not sure where to do, sit with it. You don't necessarily need to act right now, but you've just let yourself know about some more information and you can take time to decide what to do with it. You don't need to impulsively act. 
this isn't a conversation where it has an end, right? This isn't a conversation where what we've said is Bible or what we've said is it. It's just a continuation of conversations that I think everyone listening is going to see online today. And hopefully we've given some context. Hopefully we've given some information for people to think about. And I hope that that's what it serves. And I'm really glad to have had you on this episode, Claudia, because I feel like you have been in such a positive way, like even challenging me throughout. You know, we weren't coming here to necessarily learn from each other. We were just coming here to chat. But I do find that I gained a lot from our conversation. So I really want to thank you for your time today, because I think that this has been hopefully valuable to you as well, but it's been really valuable to me. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so amazing to to chat with you and to share some of my maybe controversial views about a day that we're all supposed to be happy about. That, that's how I like it. <laughs> right. I hope that it was an interesting listen and something that people can take something home with. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And so why don't we go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you on social media? Maybe they'll see you talking about this today. I'm sure, you know, I'll probably be tweeting about it in response to things that we've talked about. So where can people connect with you online? People can find me on Twitter at CA underscore Astrocom with a double M. And I'm at the same handle, though not very active on Instagram. Yeah, my podcast is like very heavily populated with academic Twitter people. And every once in a while, there's an Instagram person. And I'm like, you are an alien. I do not understand you. I respect you, but I don't get it. How do you do it? So everyone go ahead and check out Claudia on Twitter and maybe Instagram for a fun follow. But Claudia, Thank you so much for your time today. Like, I'm just going to say it again. I really, really appreciate it. Especially, you know, people don't know this is kind of last minute that we were able to, to get this together. So I just, I appreciate your time. It has really been so important to me. So thank you. As I said, you're very welcome. I was happy to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. So Claudia, thank you for the millionth time for being a guest. (laughs) Listeners, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast that I started during quarantine. And I will talk to you all next week. Hashtag bye. can connect with Dear Grad Student on Twitter at Dear Grad Student, on Instagram at Dear Grad Student Pod, and on Facebook at Dear Grad Student. Everything that you need for the podcast can be found on the podcast website at deargradstudent.com. If you're looking for merch, you can go to the website, click merch in the menu at the top, or look me up on Redbubble. If you just want to listen to me ramble online, you can find me on Twitter at Alana underscore Gloger. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore G-L-O-G-E-R. And of course, everything for this podcast is made possible by the amazing podcast patrons. If you want to help out, you can join them at patreon.com slash deargradstudent for one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you want to help out the podcast in other ways, you can leave a review. Best place for that is Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Google Podcasts. Be sure that you are following Dear Grad Student on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your other favorite shows to be sure that you are notified when each episode goes live. As a reminder, all resources and links mentioned in today's episode can be found in the description. And until next time, warmest regards, best wishes, sincerely, Alana.